Hello, listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a bi-weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. In a world full of mythological creatures and internationally notorious cryptids, it's easy to get a little starstruck. We've had a lot of flashy guests the past few episodes, dear listeners, but this is a podcast advocating for all monsters, and I think it's high time we cracked open a cold one with some lesser known, but no less fascinating monsters. And what better way to do that than to start with a group of fish that many of us enjoy living with, eating, and telling wildly unverifiable tales about. The catfish. So to start, yes, if you own or have ever owned a fish tank at any point in your life, chances are you've lived with a catfish. Often colloquially called algae eaters, suckerfish, or plecos by those with a little aquaculture experience, the armored catfish of the family Loricaridae are the go-to choice for keeping freshwater tanks free of detritus, though they don't necessarily eat as much algae as the algae eater title would imply. Now, if you didn't know that plecos were related to the large, whiskered, scaleless fish found in rivers and supermarkets, you aren't alone. Many people, when thinking of a catfish, either think of a gray-brown, medium-sized fish with long whiskers, or a person who deceives others by using someone else's pictures online. But the order Siluriformis is actually incredibly large and diverse, containing species as small as the 7-inch or 17-centimeter translucent candiru fish to as large as the Mekong giant catfish an endangered fish that can attain up to 9.8 feet or 3 meters in length and weigh up to 770 pounds, or 350 kilograms. Aside from their incredible diversity, here are some general facts about catfish that really aren't brought up enough in casual conversation. While catfish are eaten by a large percentage of the world's population, to be kosher, a fish must possess fins and scales, and thus, Catfish do not qualify as kosher. Many catfish have tapetum lucidum, a reflective layer behind the retina of the eye that enhances vision in low light. If you took a flashlight out to a river inhabited by catfish at night and shined it into the water, the eyes of any catfish close to the surface would reflect light back to you. Catfish have well-developed auditory receptors and are capable of producing different types of sound to communicate. The sounds they produce are broadly classified into two groups, drumming sounds or stridulation sounds. Drumming sounds are produced by vibration on the swim bladder, and stridulation noises are generally produced using the spine and the pectoral fins. Stridulation sounds sound like sharp taps, and can be used in courtship rituals. Drumming sounds are generally used as a threatening sound during intraspecific conflict. Almost all species of catfish have spine-like rays on their dorsal and pectoral fins. These spines can be locked in place to stick outward as a defense mechanism. While these spines alone can inflict severe wounds, some species can also produce a stinging protein from glandular cells in the skin covering these spines. One species, Plotisus lineatus, 
can produce a venom so powerful that it can kill an adult human. The walking catfish, Clarius batrachus, is a species of air-breathing catfish that makes its living in stagnant or temporary sources of water, and has as a result evolved the ability to walk to a new water source using its pectoral fins for balance as it slithers. It's native to Southeast Asia, but has become a big problem for some fisheries in the United States, where a favorite trick of the walking catfish is walking into agricultural ponds and eating all the stocked fish, to the point that some fisheries have had to erect fences to keep the fish out. It's hard to blame the walking catfish for this last thing, though. After all, humans can certainly empathize with enjoying the taste of fresh fish. Catfish in particular are common sources of food for many communities throughout Asia, South America, and the United States. Their indiscriminate diet, relatively quick growth in the right conditions, and in some species large adult size, can make them an attractive option for regular consumption. For example, in the southern United States, one method of catching catfish for consumption is noodling. While not officially recognized as an extreme sport, if you've ever wanted to make fishing as dangerous and difficult for the person as it is for the fish, noodling may be your best option. Maybe I should explain the technique a little more clearly. In the southern United States, there is a species of catfish known as the flathead catfish. The flathead catfish is the second largest catfish species in North America, with adult individuals of the species reaching just over 5 feet, or 155 centimeters, and weighing up to 123 pounds, or 56 kilograms. During spawn, this species will dig or occupy burrows in the banks of rivers, anywhere from several feet below water to up to 20 feet below water. Females of the species then lay eggs in these burrows, and males will remain in the burrow to guard the eggs until they hatch. Here's where the fun begins. Noodlers, usually working in pairs, will then discover catfish burrows and the noodler who values their limbs least will stick his or her hand into the burrow. In the best case scenario, a catfish guarding this burrow will then lunge forward and engulf the perceived threat to its offspring, at which point the noodler will be able to reach through the animal's mouth and hook their hand around its gill from the inside. The noodler then wrestles the catfish out of its burrow and with the help of a partner, onto a boat. As you can imagine, the catfish do not enjoy this process, so finger injury or loss, lacerations, and even broken arms are not unheard of even in a successful noodling. Add that to the risk of drowning while wrestling an angry catfish, and the very real possibility of sticking your hand into the burrow of an alligator or snapping turtle, and you can see why most people just use a reel and rod. That's not to say the sport hasn't increased in popularity, though. There's been an annual tournament for noodling since 2001, and with so many people getting into the water for the fun of being attacked by a catfish, maybe it shouldn't surprise you that rumors of a giant, man-eating catfish have increased in popularity. Of catfish as large as a Volkswagen bus, terrorizing divers working on dams. But, of course, these stories aren't true. 
the largest catfish species in North America, the blue catfish, only gets to about 5.4 feet long, or 165 centimeters, and that's just not long enough to even attempt to swallow an adult human. No, to find actual man-eating catfish, you have to go to South America, or South Asia, or Central, Southern, or Eastern Europe. In the Amazon basin, you may have already heard of a small species of parasitic catfish called the kandiru, because the tiny transparent fish has long been the subject of a popular fish tale that involves these little guys being attracted to the scent of urine and subsequently swimming their way up into the urine and becoming stuck. While these tales are almost certainly untrue, what is true is that the relationship of humans and catfish in the Amazon basin has a long history of mutual consumption. That's thanks to the fact that the indiscriminate feeding habits of the catfish, when they reach a particularly large size, tend to either lean toward a mostly herbivorous diet, such as the case of the Mekong giant catfish, or mostly carnivorous, such as the case of the Piraiba, Brachyplatystoma filamentosum. And at 12 feet or 3.6 meters long, and weighing up to 440 pounds or 200 kilograms, they will pretty much eat whatever is smaller than them, which is most things. And while they mostly consume other fish, there have been documented cases of these fish consuming monkeys and fishermen they came across in the water, such as an incident documented in the Animal Planet series River Monsters, where a fisherman was found engulfed up to his waist by a particularly adventurous piraiba. Fortunately or unfortunately, thanks to overfishing and disruption of their spawning sites, encounters with these fish have continued to decline since 1977, which either means there are less fish reaching adulthood, or the fish are getting better at not leaving witnesses. By contrast, for the man-eating catfish found in South Asia, the goonch, humans have become something of an acquired taste. The goonch is found throughout South Asia, and reaches around 6.6 feet, or 2 meters in length, not really of the appropriate size to naturally consider the relatively long human as a source of food, the Goonch has had a change of heart thanks to the funerary rites of some people in this region, which involve riverbank funeral pyres. Because funeral pyres are not a 100% effective means of disposing of human remains, some remains end up in the river, where they become a supplemental source of food for these large catfish. Some people believe that this risk-free source of additional protein led to a series of fatal attacks from 1998 to 2007, in which three different people in three separate villages along the banks of the Kali River were dragged into the river in front of several eyewitnesses, only to never resurface. The Goonch is suspected because this area of the river, a stretch of water only four to five miles wide, is totally uninhabited by crocodiles or sharks. Our last potential man-eater is the Welsh catfish, which is found throughout most of Europe, and is one of the few potential but unlikely candidates for skeptics attempting to explain the Loch Ness Monster sightings. 
The Wells is primarily found in large, warm lakes and deep, slow rivers. They can reach a max length of about 16 feet or 5 meters, and a max weight of 660 pounds or over 300 kilograms. Specimens of this size are rare, though, and to reach its full potential, the Wells requires ideal living conditions. One of the reasons the Wells makes this list, though, has nothing to do with its size or humans, and everything to do with their unique habit of eating terrestrial birds. A study done in 2012 at the University of Toulouse in France reported that some individuals outside their normal habitat had learned to lunge out of the water to capture bathing pigeons, in a manner similar to killer whale attacks on beach-dwelling seals. The fish had a 28% success rate with this method, which means it proved to be a viable hunting method for the animal. So, given this adaptability, and the fact that this species has had many documented cases of large fish attacking fishermen, and it would not surprise me at all if a large individual attempted to eat a human. Of course, our relationship to the catfish is not just all about who eats who. And like any animal humanity has spent enough time with, even catfish have an association with the supernatural. In Japan, for example, the catfish is associated with earthquakes. Because of their increased electromagnetic sensitivity, catfish can become more active during the small tremors leading up to an earthquake. This sensitivity to earthquakes led to the belief in Namazoo, a giant catfish that lives in the mud under the islands of Japan. Namazu is guarded by the god Kashima, who normally keeps the catfish subdued and still by pinning him under the weight of a large capstone. Whenever the god gets tired or lets his guard down, though, the catfish wiggles, causing earthquakes on the islands. A particularly bad earthquake near Ido in 1855 was attributed to Namazu punishing humanity for its greed. And because of this association, the catfish became known as a god of world rectification. This hard stance on punishing greed, surprisingly, caused the now godly catfish to rise in popularity. And to this day, Namazu can be found on earthquake detection devices as well as earthquake preparedness activities. That's it this week for catfishing. If you enjoyed learning a little about our slippery friends, there's even more catfish fun buried in the sediment of the show notes. As always, intro and outro music, as well as musical score, were done by professional noodler Scott Ethington. Find more of his music to quake to you at Bazooka Raccoon on SoundCloud.com. Some announcements. First, special thanks this week to Kathleen Toomey for her generous contribution to the show. This show is entirely the work of just two people, so every contribution goes directly to the production of this podcast and is greatly, greatly appreciated. Second, after careful consideration of an unusually busy upcoming month, Monsters Advocate will be going on hiatus for the month of September. During this time, I will try to produce some Patreon bonus content but unfortunately, a rather unique set of circumstances means I won't have as much time to dedicate to the show as it deserves. Don't worry though, we'll be going back to the regular schedule just in time for October. 
promise. Thank you for your understanding and patience as we take a little break. Thank you for listening. And remember, anyone can be a monster. <laughs>